return. He goes on to say in verse 25 to say that before his, his return, he must suffer many things and be rejected. And if you scan your eyes over the following verses, you'll see he goes back to the Old Testament and and times when God's judgment came down on sinful people. So he references the days of Noah, the days of Lot, and he shows how in those days when God's judgment came raining down on sin, many were not ready. Many were consumed by God's justice. And so it's with that background, I'll keep talking, uh, we come to Luke 18. Uh, and you can imagine sitting with the disciples at Jesus' feet, hearing these words of impending judgment, and just wondering how to be ready for it. How to endure even when it seems like he's not coming back. Maybe you've asked yourself that question. Maybe you're asking it today. Because maybe the idea of Jesus' return seems distant and far-fetched to you. It often does to me. And so, as a result, maybe it's not influencing your everyday life as a Christian. Well, as we await the arrival of 2018 in just a few hours, let's ask ourselves this question this morning. How can we endure as Christians until the end? How can we persevere in, a, in bodies that are still inclined to sin, and even more so in a culture that's becoming more and more antagonistic to our faith? How can we be ready well, before Jesus starts speaking here in, in Luke 18, Luke makes an editorial comment that gives us a clear answer. He says in verse 1, And Jesus told the disciples a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So there you go. Whatever we're going to see in this parable this morning, we know that Jesus wants us as a church to walk away from this text and walk into 2018 ready to pray and not lose heart. So let's see two things from the parable. First, the unjust judge. And second, the true judge. So first, the unjust judge. There in verse 2, Jesus begins his parable. Uh, a parable was a story that Jesus used often, sort of a device that made up a story that communicated a true truth. And, and here in this parable, he introduces us to two very different, starkly contrasted characters. The first one, there's a judge. Jesus describes this judge as being someone who neither feared God nor respected man. So in both this guy's vertical and horizontal relationships, he was really screwed up. He was self-absorbed. In his vertical relationship with his creator, Jesus says he had no fear or respect. So in other words, he was his own God, his own ultimate authority. And in his horizontal relationships with other people, he, again, lacks any sense of respect or care. He's self-governed. He's self-concerned. He submits to no one. I love how one writer puts it. He says, he is exactly how a judge should not be. You know, a judge should submit himself to law. A judge should care about those who are victims. But here in verse 3, we see that this judge ignores the needy. Uh, because Jesus then introduces the character of this weak widow and, and says she kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So it's obvious this widow is being treated unfairly and either it could have been a bribe that the judge was getting at or uh, something else where he just didn't care. But even when she comes to this assigned arbiter of justice, this judge, this obvious choice for help, he's corrupt. 
Verse 4, he refused the widow. He ignored her need. And she was a widow, the weakest of the weak, not able to support herself probably. She was someone who needed protection, who was open to exploitation. She needed someone to defend her, but this judge ignores all of that. He just remains kind of stony-faced at her need. He turns her away repeatedly, denying her plea again and again. And what we see in this parable, though, is that this widow doesn't take no for an answer, right? In verse 3, Jesus says she kept coming. In verse 5, we see the judge saying she kept bothering him. She wouldn't let this matter rest. She was persistent, diligent, unrelenting, and unsuccessful up until verse 5. Because the judge continues to turn a deaf ear to her, doesn't help, he doesn't listen. But Jesus continues on in this parable, and he shows in verse 5 that her persistence eventually pays off. So this judge tries to ignore her pleas for a while, but after a while he just gives in. He says there, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, you can almost hear the sigh. I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. His justice is begrudging. This widow has become more than just an annoying nuisance. She's begun to inconvenience and exasperate him to such an extent that he needs to deal with her. It's kind of like your, your toddler, kind of asking you over and over and over and over and over again to turn away from whatever it is you're doing to look at what they need to show you, right? If you know toddlers, they're just not going to take no for an answer. They will not give up. And in, in much of the way, same way a parent might exasperatedly turn to that kid, I can imagine this judge saying, what? <laughs> what do you need? And so he begrudgingly gives justice. I never say that to my kids. Those words beat me down in verse 5 are especially interesting. Uh, because I think what is going on here is more than just mere annoyance. So we read this and we're like, oh, the judge is kind of peeved. He's like, just like, get away. But that phrase in the original language means giving a black eye. So, so some people go to this and they're like, was she afraid that this widow was going to attack him? And they're like, that can't be. Maybe. I would have loved to see that fight. But what they're, they're thinking about more is that it's probably meaning he's, go, he's afraid he's going to get a social black eye. So as his, you know, as his friends in, in law or in government see this, this widow coming every day and mocking on his door and just complaining, uh, he's worried that he's just going to start looking bad in front of other people. He's going to be embarrassed by her continual coming. And so ultimately he says, I will give her justice. It's interesting, this, this judge ignores the needy widow and when all is said and done, he only begrudgingly gives her justice. He's, he's this assigned judge, this upholder of the law, but he, he needs to have his arm twisted in order to even lift a finger to help. But as I was thinking about this, it, it's, just, it's obvious that the motivation for him to help is when his needs conflict with hers or vice versa. It's only when when his needs begin to be intruded upon that he says, okay, fine, I'm going to act on this. It's not, a, it's not out of compassion. It's not out of any desire to help. It's only when, when her needs come in and conflict with his need for a good reputation or just some peace and quiet that he acts. He's just completely self-concerned. 
So that's, that's Jesus' parable. We've met the unjust judge. But what are we to take from it? Well, Jesus goes on to interpret his parables like any good teacher, and he, meet, he, he introduces us to another judge. In verse 6, he, he kind of sets up this tale of two judges. So he uses this, this parable, this story of this fictional, corrupt judge, and then contrasts him starkly with the true judge of the world, with God himself. There in verse 6, he says, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. It's kind of like he's, he's given this story to his, his disciples, and now he's like, okay, do you get it? Like, let the attributes of this judge sink into your brain. See him ignoring the needy and only giving justice when it's gone too far for comfort for him. Take it all in, disciples. And then remember, your judge is coming, and praise God, he's not like that. The, the first difference Jesus calls out about this true judge is that he listens to the cries of his people. There in verse 7, Jesus says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I see that phrase, who cry to him day and night, and I'm just reminded of the incredible wonder of prayer. Church, the amazing thing about prayer is that God hears it. I mean, anybody can pray to some sort of ambiguous, maybe existent being. But we have a promise that God hears his elect, his chosen ones, his church. The everlasting, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign of God of the universe sitting on the throne hears us. Needy people. Many of you have thought about that before, but just think about it again. Because it's amazing. I mean, if I want to tell the president something, uh, it would take a whole lot of luck and miles of red tape even to get him to read a letter that I sent, much less get a, a meeting with him, right? Uh, perhaps you've been lucky enough, blessed enough, right? Christian word for lucky to get like those tickets that give you backstage passes to a concert to actually meet the musicians or backstage passes to the locker room to get to meet the athletes before or after game time. Maybe you've known somebody like that. That would be awesome, right? So, so I was thinking, I love the Nationals, right? But if I got to go into the locker room before a game and meet Bryce Harper, I'd be a mess. I'd probably back out. Like, I, I don't know what to say to him. But, but at the same time, that, that audience would probably just be a selfie and a quick question that he would just go, and that'd be it, right? Nothing like a meal where you could ask him questions or even a relationship. Many of us can only dream of uttering one word to a star, a celebrity that we admire. And even if we did, this, the interaction would be superficial. God is not like that. The king over everything, the one in whose presence the Israelites of the Old Testament trembled, the one who made mountains shake just by his presence, the one that said, do not touch this mountain lest you die, that God, through what Christ has done, has guaranteed his saints, his, his Christians, us, brothers and sisters, private audience with him anytime we want. 
We are those who cry to him. When? Not three times a day. Day and night. And we know he hears us. He doesn't need to have his arm twisted in order to listen. We don't need to go to him like that widow, repeatedly, just hoping against hope that somehow, someday, he'll pay attention finally. God of the universe hears us. He listens to the cries of his elect, and he hears. We just sang that, that song, O Thou Who Dwellst on High. It's, kind of, it's a prayer. Can I draw near? And it says, yes, seeking we find thee near to bless with every grace. So Christian, the ears of God are tuned to your voice. That's not a reason to, to pray, to pray expectantly, to pray fervently and persistently and joyfully. There's another difference, though, because what's more, in, in verse 7, uh, the true judge, unlike that corrupt judge of the parable, carries out justice in full. Now that, that's kind of the argument Jesus is, is making here. He, he's making what's called an a fortiori argument. Just a Latin phrase that means lesser to the greater. If this thing that's lesser is true, then this thing that's greater is most definitely true. He's saying if, if the unjust judge eventually listened to a needy woman, how much more will the perfect judge of heaven listen to his needy people? If the unjust judge gave justice, how much more will the perfect judge give perfect justice? Surely he will. And it won't come too late or too early. It'll come at the right time. It'll come when the Son of Man descends to judge. See, what's beautiful about God in this parable is that he's not just a listening God, but he's an acting God. He delivers perfect justice. Jesus brings up the idea of a, a delay there. Will he delay long? Meaning, sometimes it does feel like that to us. It feels like a long time before justice is done. Remember what, what Peter says in Second Peter. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but all should bring all should reach repentance. So we see here that God's going to bring justice, but he has a different time zone than we do. He has purposes, but those purposes are going to be brought out when he's ready. And that time of delay is meant to bring sinners to repentance, and it's also a time to generously, graciously, lovingly, as a father, help us grow in our faith. He will bring justice, but he'll bring it when he's ready. And so the question we're left is, is will we be ready? That's how Jesus finishes in verse 8. Nevertheless, so having said all that, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So when the judge comes back, he will come back to execute final perfect justice. But will his people be ready? Will they be found faithful? 
committed to waiting in holiness, not carousing like those fools in chapter 17 who lived only for themselves and the fleeting pleasures of the moment. A judge is coming, and he's not going to fail on delivering justice. So we have to ask that question at the beginning of 2018. You know, will we be ready? It was funny, I, I went to this text. I picked this text for the New Year's Sunday because I was like, oh, we talk about the Word of God a lot. I'd like to talk about prayer a lot. And I thought what we'd be learning from Luke 18, 1 through 8 is that, you know, we should just be praying more and be persistent in it. That'd be pretty easy application. When I went to it, I was like, okay, I lied last week when I said we're done with Advent sermons because this is an Advent sermon. Jesus is coming back for his second Advent. Will we be ready? This is not about prayer in general. This is about prayer that anticipates Christ's coming. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning, you don't know that judge of heaven as your God. You might believe he exists. Some, some greater power exists. You might not believe that. Uh, you might think if there is a God, then you're in pretty good standing with him based on your code of conduct. Or you might not think that. Maybe you've never trusted in Christ, believed in the gospel. You've never given your life to him. If that's you, I just want you to understand, and brothers and sisters here at Loudoun Valley Baptist Church want you to understand that we Christians ha have no hope of standing before the judge when he comes back simply because we're better than other people or because our good weeds, you know, deeds outweigh our bad deeds. That's ludicrous. What judge would, it, would accept that? And if that was the ground of our hope, then the most logical thing for us to do would be to lose heart right away and forget praying. Friends, our hope is in the gospel. Our hope is in a judge who heard his people's cry and acted to save. Think back to that, that corrupt judge. He was only concerned with the, the woman's needs when her needs began to inconvenience him and threaten to embarrass him. But our judge is not like that. Quite the opposite. When our judge was confronted with our need, even when we didn't even know to ask him to help, even when we had no desire to cry out to him, our judge laid aside his gavel and of his own free grace came to us. Jesus, the, the very Son of God, lived a perfect life, but on the cross underwent the gavel of God's judgment meant for us. You think about how much different is Jesus than is that unjust judge. That unjust judge just wanted to do anything he could not to be inconvenienced and embarrassed. What Jesus did was the greatest inconvenience in history, and what he did was come to be utterly embarrassed and humiliated and laid down with sin. The corrupt judge begrudgingly gave justice, but the true judge gave his son to satisfy his justice for us. If you don't know that gracious judge, the invitation's open to you to come to him this morning, to turn from your unbelief and your sin and to repent, to trust in him. And Christian... The judge is coming back. 
And the reason we get together as a church on a weekly basis in this cafeteria on Sunday mornings is primarily to help one another endure until he does. Of course, we we can't do anything to atone for our sin. Jesus has covered that all on the cross. But part of living as Christians is persevering as Christians, is preparing for when he comes back. The way you know you're a Christian is if you're still a Christian. So if you're still persevering, if you still desire to be ready. And so this is a helpful corrective for me, and I think it's a helpful corrective for our church as we go into the new year. Prayer is about so much more than just asking God to meet our material needs and bless our church ministries. We should do that. That's important. But prayer has cosmic power. Prayer anticipates the coming of Christ. Prayer might even hasten the coming of Christ. Prayer helps us endure. This is an Advent parable meant to get us ready. And the way we get ready is by praying. Praying for justice. Praying for mercy. Praying for hip replacements and stubbed toes and all those important things, but not forgetting to pray for the big things, like the judge coming back that he come back speedily and bring mercy and justice. Christians praying is heard at the throne of the judge and it implores him to come back and he will answer. And really, you see that at the beginning there, he told us a parable to the effect that they all ought to pray and not lose heart. I don't think you can do both of those or not do, do one of those and not the other. I don't think you can be consistent in prayer and lose heart. And I don't think you can lose heart and, anyway, you get where I was going there. I messed it up a little bit. You can't do one without the other, all right? Faith and prayer fuel one another. They go hand in hand. If we're not praying, we're not growing. If we're not praying, I don't know if we're going to be ready. You know, I, I, it was interesting that we thought about this passage on the Sunday that we hand out those guides about the persecuted church. Because I think our brothers and sisters around the world who even now are meeting in secret understand this kind of prayer much better than we do. Uh, as their faith in Christ threatens their homes and their jobs and their families and their very lives, I bet their, their prayers become more and more like the prayers of that widow, right? Who said, give me justice against my adversary. Give me justice, God. Their hope is, is not in earthly power, but in this returning judge. And may the same be true for us. Loudon Valley Baptist Church, we are a people in waiting. We are gathered this morning, and if the Lord wills, we'll gather again many mornings in 2018 in this room with the purpose of enduring until the judge comes. And as we do so, we will give ourselves to prayer. Pleading with God to bring justice. Pleading with him to uphold us. Pleading with him to keep us until he comes. So let's make that our goal this coming year. Praying together. Praying persistently. Praying passionately. And as we do so, let me close with two applications for us as we give ourselves to prayer. 
First, as we give ourselves to prayer, let's not be anxious. As we give ourselves to prayer, let's not be anxious. So I, I don't know the future. I don't have a crystal ball. But I feel pretty confident in saying that as we go into 2018, the news headlines will still be crazy. There will still be reason for fear. Our souls will still be sinful. Governments will still show corruption. The weak will still be exploited. The powerful will still abuse. Maybe we'll be tempted to lose heart. As we pray, let's not be anxious. Because do you remember that good old coffee mug verse in Philippians 4? Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and stuff. You know, we, we know that, but do you remember the words that immediately precede that command? In, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, like with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he's saying, in this context of understanding that the judge is at the door, that he's almost here, that he's at hand, Pray, and don't be anxious. That was a motivation, that was an impetus for Paul to cast all his anxieties on Christ. So church, let's, let's anticipate the second coming of Christ and let's that, let that fuel our prayers and soothe our anxieties. Ultimately, if your hope is in a party or a platform or a candidate or a policy, you better lose heart now or else you'll be very disappointed later. But if your hope is in the judge who executes perfect justice, your confidence is it's just going to be unshakable. And as Christians, as we face growing hostility to our faith, let's commit ourselves to prayer and let's not give up. Let's bombard the throne of grace with pleas for help and pleas for God's glory to be made known through us. Let's not be anxious. And second, as we give ourselves to prayer, let's take risks for God's glory. Let's take risks for God's glory. See, we belong to the one who owns everything and to the one who's coming back to make all of that right. We belong to the one Scripture calls the Almighty. And so are we willing to give ourselves into his care even when we're uncomfortable? If I read this passage right, even if we're treated unfairly or mocked or scorned or taken advantage of for his sake, he's still going to take care of us. There's no doubt about that. So let's not lose heart. Let's boldly pray for opportunities to stick our necks out for Jesus. To take risks so that his name is proclaimed through our church and through our mouths. Let's speak boldly of him and then let him defend us however he sees fit to do that. He's the judge. So dear church family, let's, let's go forward into 2018 praying and not losing heart. Let's pray that by the time 2019 rolls around, if the Lord hasn't returned already, he'll find us faithfully casting our anxieties on him, faithfully pleading for him to return, faithfully proclaiming his gospel, faithfully waiting. Let's pray. Our God, we pray that you 
would come back soon. That you would not delay any longer. But in the meantime, we pray that you would make us persistent in prayer. Keep us. Keep us in the faith that you've given us until you do come back. Keep us in faithful prayer and interceding for one another. Keep us in faithful pleading that you would bring justice. Help us not to lose heart. Not to lose heart as we see the sin in our hearts and the evil in this world. Instead, give us courage and joy as we anticipate your second advent. And as the whole book of the Bible ends, we join in with that prayer and say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.